Aggression. Uh, Alice read from Ecclesiasticus this morning, one of the apocryphal books, and we were chatting beforehand, where does that fit in? And if you look at page 604 of the Book of Common Prayer that you will find in the pew, you will see that the Anglican Church under the Articles of Religion looks at those books as containing wisdom and examples for life and instruction, but are not to establish doctrine. So St. Jerome, when he was trying to figure out uh, under the mandate from the Pope what books to include in the Vulgate Bible, didn't want to include those because the Hebrew canon didn't include them, but they still had a lot of value and were kept as part of the overall scriptural presentation. So if anyone is interested or was wondering why we had a reading from a non-canonical book, I think that's the explanation. So uh, this morning we have the very familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. And those who've been in our small group study have heard at endless length about this parable and uh, all of the permutations of it. And it is extremely significant the way Jesus handled that question from the lawyer. Now that's a canon lawyer, a religious lawyer, a student of the scriptures, not a civil lawyer like we think of for me before I retired or Brother Tim who's practicing law now. This is a religious controversy. And this religious lawyer hearing Jesus preaching and teaching uh, is offended, I guess, by the fact that this unschooled rabbi from Nazareth of all places is presuming to speak theological truths. So he gets up and when you stand up in the assembly or in whatever context they're in, that's a challenging gesture right from the start. So it says in the King James Version, he stood up and tempted him. Uh, you dig into the words there and most of the versions say tested rather than tempted, but it's the same thing. He's putting him to the test. It's not a genuine, legitimate question seeking wisdom. It's aimed at showing him up. So this scholar of the law stands up and says, well, I'll, I'll put this bumpkin in his place. I'll ask him a, a tough question. What do I have to do to be right with God? Is there any more difficult or important question? And Jesus, uh, of course, doesn't take the bait. He doesn't say, you know, you know perfectly well what the answer is and tell him the answer. He says, well, you're, you're an expert in the law. What do you read? What do you think? And he turns it back on him. And he recites the very familiar passage from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you may have noticed I tried to read that in a way that sounded like a rote formula, not something from the heart, but, oh yeah, this is our formula, do this. And love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. So the lawyer spouts the formula. Uh, perhaps I'm being unfair to him by suggesting he did it mechanically, but that's probably a fair guess. And Jesus uh, says, yeah, that's right. Do that and you'll live. So 
I wanted to dwell on that a little bit this morning, as well as uh, maybe talk a bit about the parable itself. The parable is so familiar. We've talked about it a lot. My wife tells me she thinks I even preached on it once before, so I don't want to inflict it on everybody who was there on that occasion, all the detail. But let's let's go back to the beginning of this. And, and uh, if you have your pew Bible handy, it begins on page uh, 868 in chapter 10 of Luke with the context of this. Jesus has sent out 72 of his followers to preach the gospel. They come back, they're ecstatic, they're rejoicing, they're thrilled at their success. And uh, they're celebrating this, they're having a, a good time. And uh, the 72 come back. It says on uh, verse 21 on page 68, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. There's only two places in the whole of the scripture that talk about Jesus rejoicing. There's plenty about him lamenting or being indignant, but not too much about him being happy and rejoicing. So they're having a a great celebration. They're having a good time. And that's where it picked up in what I read this morning. And he says, you know, many prophets and sages of the ages have longed to see this and hear it and be part of it. And we're part of it. You're part of it. They're rejoicing. They're celebrating. And up gets this arrogant lawyer of the scriptures to try to burst their balloon a little bit and and show them up. So again, he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And as the great uh, Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, uh, who was the bishop of Liverpool in the 19th century and a great scholar and writer, uh, J.C. Ryle says, it is a question which deserves the principal attention of every man, woman, and child on earth. We are all sinners, dying sinners, and sinners going to be judged after death. How shall our sins be pardoned? With what shall we come before God? How shall we escape the damnation of hell? Where shall we flee from the wrath to come? What must we do to be saved? These are inquiries which people of every rank ought to put to themselves and never rest until they find the answer. So it is an important question. It's the all-important question. The Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas, you'll remember, after the earthquake that freed all the prisoners from their bonds, and Paul and Silas said, "Don't, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. We're not running away. And he turns to them and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That is the ultimate question, is it not? So this lawyer goes back to the Old Testament and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. If you do that, if you did that, if anyone did that, that person would be right with God. But of course, Jesus doesn't say, none of you do that. Nobody has ever done that. And we know the answer is, only one person ever really did that. Jesus said, I always do what pleases my Father. 
He's the only one who can say that. I know I can't say that. I would take a guess that none of you can say that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all the time. We know we don't do that for 10 seconds. So that's our state. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 2, he said, before God stepped into your life, you were just walking with the world and the prince of the power of the air, Satan, doing what the world said, thinking you were fine, being satisfied with yourselves. But you were dead in trespass and sin. Not you were a little bit weakened, not you weren't quite as good as you should be, but Paul said you were dead. That's strong language. But the good news of that passage in Ephesians is he goes on to say, but God, two of the most beautiful words in all of the New Testament, but God stepped into your life and changed you through his power. So this passage is very, very interesting in the beginning, even before the famous parable. Jesus is putting a sharp point on the facts of our relationship to Almighty God, a holy, perfect, just, righteous God. There's no way we can stand before God on our own strength. Because to do that, we would have had to have loved the Lord our God with all our mind, soul, heart, and strength, all the time, and our neighbor as ourselves. That second part is what the canon lawyer picks up on, says, well, okay, wise guy, who is my neighbor? And of course, the Pharisees and the righteous Jewish people of the time taught that their neighbor was limited to people like them, not everybody. And Jesus, again, could have said, oh, okay, smarty, uh, your neighbor is everyone. But he doesn't do that. He tells a story, as he so often does. And you'll notice that he flipped the question around. The canon lawyer says, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, who treated the other person in a neighborly way? So Jesus focused on his responsibility in obedience to God and loving service to God to treat his neighbor as he would like to be treated himself. And you know, one of the great things about being Anglicans is that we're standing on the shoulders of an amazing history and tradition that goes right back to Queen Elizabeth, who was a brilliant theologian in her own right, read the Gospels and the Bible in Greek every day, picture that, translated Christian classics, from Latin and other languages into English. And she was determined that the faith that followed her, that she presided over, would be a true faith, true to the gospel. And she had allies like Cranmer, who wrote most of this prayer book for us and died for it. You have Lancelot Andrews, the great theologian of the early Renaissance. You have a cavalcade and more recently, we have C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis, an Anglican layman and theologian who has meant so much to so many of us, including me, 
And he wrote uh, about love your neighbor. I think it was in Mere Christianity. And he said, you know, how do we love our neighbor? Well, how do we love ourselves? We love ourselves by always thinking the best of ourselves. We never think the worst of ourselves. You know, when we offend somebody or injure someone we care about, we always hope that they'll give us the benefit of the doubt, right? Who's the one person we never judge harshly? Us. So Lewis's point was that's part of loving your neighbor. And the great Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan scholar here in the uh, Americas, wrote a whole book on 1 Corinthians 13 called Charity and Its Fruits about how to be charitable, be loving, to extend love to others. And he said, always assume the best that you can of your fellow Christians until the facts show you that you are wrong. But what's our human tendency? To assume the best or to assume the worst? Be honest with yourself. I think we know the answer to that question. So, so Jesus is giving a very powerful theological answer. If a person did these things, that person would be right with God. And yet he knew and we know that we don't do that. So what's the answer? The answer is Jesus. The answer is the gospel. Only one person earned that right relationship with the Father. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls us to follow him and who said, no one comes to the Father except by me. So that's the good news, my friends. That's the good news for me and for you. We know we're not going to do what that wise guy lawyer said. But we also know that even though we don't do it, we can be right with God. And that's wonderful news. Amen.